16, and let's go ahead and pray for tonight. Lord, we thank you for the, the love and the kindness that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Lord, Lord we love the history uh, of the book of Acts. We love the consideration of how your gospel went forth unto Gentiles, that this could come to us many years later and, and to see uh, the word established and to see your truth. Lord, we are grateful that you kept record for us to show your working, your power, to show the opposition, to show the greatness of your victory uh, at the cross. Lord, just make these things more uh, real for us as we study history and then speak to us how to live in our day, uh, asking these things tonight to be taught by the Holy Spirit. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think he wants your game that you're playing, Tanya, on your phone. Uh, All right. Acts 16, 16. So we left off last week following uh, what many call Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, You know what he called it? Let's go back and visit all the churches that we've started. That's what he called it. He did not say, this is my second missionary journey, and then later on I'll do my third missionary journey, and then I think I'll go for number four. Now, Again, think about this when we study the Word of God, that that this is the first time these things are going on. The gospel has never been to Philippi before. And, and I think that's a wonderful undertaking when we see, and, and we may not think much of it, but Paul went over this, this little body of water called the Aegean Sea, but what did he really do? He brought the gospel to the European continent. And that's rather exciting when we consider what that undertaking meant. And then in the upcoming weeks, weeks we're going to see him in Berea, Thessalonica, Athens, and Corinth. And rather exciting to think about that that's really, when, when we come to a study like this, almost all the people who live in, in this part of the United States of America track their descendants through the continent of Europe. This is the gospel getting to those that that heard and that's the people that came and you think of you think of how the gospel reached to the germanic tribes and how the gospel again even all the way up into the ufta scandinavian territories that that people would be saved and hear the gospel and and as history progressed and they came to this country and you think about the norwegians and the swedes who came who who primarily settled this part Part of what they were coming for, especially the Swedes, they wanted religious freedom. They did not want the government to run the Swedish Lutheran Church. And you can look at these things in history, and it's great to study. And Again, moves of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it always works this way, that there's a genuine move of the Holy Spirit, and then it dies. Over time, somewhere around 35 to 50 years a movement typically, and, and, and if it happens to be worked at, maybe a little bit longer, but these movements turn into monuments. And then guess what God does? Well, then he starts with another person, and he begins another movement. And it's great to, to, to find these things out. Now, I learned something new. Uh, let's see, a couple, couple years ago, I found out about a denomination that's very tiny that I knew nothing about, one of the sisters in our congregation, her mom, uh, went home to be with the Lord, a believer, and went to the funeral for, for them, uh, went, went to the funeral to support the, the sister in our church. And it was a, 
a, a, a church from the Finnish background. So the Finns who moved from Finland to come to, again, if you think about it, they went to northern Michigan, they went to northern Minnesota, and they went to, I believe it's Washington. It might be Oregon. One, one of the, I think it's Washington. But they came specifically to, to work in the mining industry. Now, this particular little group of, of denominations, I started to research, like, what is this group? And I looked it up, and this is a group that formed way up in northern Finland, and it was so far up north that it, the map starts to stretch. If you ever look at, you know, you got the globe, and then you try to, you try to lay it flat, that's why Greenland looks so big when you look at it on a map. It's not actually as big as it appears, but you've got all this distortion to take round to flat. And way up there in the north, many years ago, there was a move of the Holy Spirit, and there was a pastor who gave this prophecy, again, and a prophecy that all these people would be saved. And this prophecy that he gave, and people got saved out of this, and they formed a church. So this Finnish denomination actually followed the teachings of a spirit-filled Norwegian pastor, and it was a work of salvation. So part of this group, way up in northern Finland, that when they moved here, they, they tried to go to church with, well, the non-spirit-filled church. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what they, the conclusion they came to? We're, we're going to start churches here. Now, we come to Acts 16, 16, and, and we'd love it if all the stories were just that, that clean, little opposition. Our, our real effort was, well, are we going to, we, we start church this way. In Acts 16, 16, in Philippi, it happened as we went to prayer. Now, again, I love the history of this, and, and you consider that. They're in Philippi, no synagogue, so when they're going to prayer, this is probably on a Sabbath day. On Sabbath, the Jews of these cities, if there was not a synagogue, they would gather together at the water source. That's where Lydia from Thyatira got saved in our, our last week's study. So more than likely, Paul, on the Sabbath day, is going out. It says a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us. So I think of it like this. They're, they're walking out to prayer, and wherever this slave girl's going, they, they pass on the way. And as they pass, uh, they meet. It, it says that she had the spirit of divination, and the spirit of divination in her brought her masters. So since she's a slave girl, her masters who own her, they're actually using her for a form of fortune-telling. And that's what it says. Or maybe your version, if you have the King James, says soothsaying. Now, this opens up, uh, biblically, uh, if you ever want to do your background work, look up the terms like necromancer, where someone talks to the dead. You have witchcraft. Again, you remember King Saul looking, he wanted to consult the dead, so he looks for a medium. So you have witchcraft, you have mediums, you have soothsayers, you have false prophets. And then you come across that guy from... from um, Ba Balaam, the guy from farther east that Balak hires him, and this guy seems to know witchcraft, but he also hears God's voice, and you're like, this guy's a he's a mixed bag concerning that. And and this was still going on. Now the other part that's going on, and I hope to talk about this a bit more, um they're in Philippi, and this Roman colony, they're worshiping the Greek gods. 
And this is the part we need to remember. So not only are, you know, you think about no synagogue, no church there. Well, yet the church just started. You have, you have the church that began with Lydia. And I look at it this way. Paul's going out to prayer and Satan's little helper, if you will, again, she has a spirit of divination and, and they meet and she immediately recognizes the spirit of God upon Paul. Now, we don't think much about this always, do we, in the body of Christ, that we would actually have demon-possessed people come to church or that this could happen in this country. And, and historically, it really... You think about how the gospel came here. I talk about the Scandahuvians who came later on. And, you know, that's, that's like 1800s, late 1800s, some of them are coming. Especially the Finns coming to do the mining. But you can go back in history and, and the people that came here in this country and, and look at the interactions with the Native Americans. You, you have to ask yourself, how does this big lake out in North Dakota, how does it get a double name? How does it get Spirit Lake or Devil's Lake? And well, it's because of the spiritism that was with the Native Americans. And when the missionaries came and they would hear, and the, the natives are calling this, well, this is Spirit Lake. And, and the beliefs are that life comes out of this. Or you have Devil's Tower. Well, I'll guarantee you the, the Native Americans did not call that Right, the spiritism within the, the what we call the American Indians, they didn't call that devil's tower. They believed that that was a source of life or the stump of the tree of life. These are things that we need to understand that, that all these gods were worshipped. Now, before I just go on into all of our local history, North Dakota history, Minnesota history, we have the Bible. And let's understand what took place. And, and to me, the spirit, this is, this, she has a demon. The word there for possessed is has. See, a lot of times we think possessed is like, oh no, they've got this. It's like it's some intricate word. So it says that she's a slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination. It's a spirit, but the word there for divination is a Greek word to describe a specific practice that was done in Delphi and and the, and the Greek word it only shows up here she has a spirit of puthos again when you think you hear poo right that's py not that kind of poo py like we'd say python this is a spirit of in greek the spirit of a snake and then you start to do a little bit of your homework like what is this and and what's going on well in delphi right delphi that is, which is near Corinth, there, there was, again, in about 800 B.C., there was this practice of what was begun concerning at the worship in this place of this temple, the temple to Apollo, they would consult the oracle at Delphi. Now, I'm probably, it's probably Delphi or Delphi, D-E-L-P-H-I. They would consult and the practice was there was a priestess who would go into a trance, who would go, and usually one would come to consult. And, and what do we know? We know that, it, that it, the, a demon was upon, uh, upon this oracle. We think of oracle many times as a word, but the idea was they would consult this priestess who had a spirit of divination, a spirit of puthos, 
right? And in the, the folklore of, of Greek mythology, which the Romans just simply Romanized, put names on it, they believed that Apollo said that there were two eagles sent out by Apollo that circled the, the globe, and at Delphi, they killed the snake, the python. And then the spirit of that dead snake came upon this, this, uh, this woman, and then they would repeat this. So this woman that is now in Philippi, they believe has a spirit, the same spirit of divination, the same spirit of the snake. Now, I sound crazy, don't I? We just start talking like, like, what is this stuff? That's the history. And it usually was an all-day affair. So we look up the meanings of these words that this woman who has a spirit of divination, slave girl, and she's fortune-telling. So this idea that she, through a, like, like basically a raving, mad, ranting word, she would tell people's future. This is the pagan counterpart to the gift of prophecy. And it was an all-day affair when they would go to Delphi, and especially if someone was famous. And I, there's, there's some king of the, uh, what was he? He was going to fight the Persians, and he got this prophecy at Delphi that, that, a, that a kingdom, that a great empire was going to fall. Well, he took his interpretation that the other empire was going to fall. Turns out in the prophecy, he lost that day, and it was the end of the empire. Now, how does Satan do that? See, isn't that where this whole thing comes about? So let's be honest. This is that occasion of what's going on in Philippi. This slave girl has a spirit of, of what they believed and practiced, again, of, of the python. This dead spirit of this dead snake that the eagles killed at Delphi, they worshiped Apollo there who sent out the eagles to kill the snake. And this is the type of spiritism that is in ancient Rome, the Roman Empire. Paul shows up. She recognizes Paul. This blows me away. She recognizes the spirit of God upon Paul. Remember the sons of Sceva who later call upon, I think it's in Ephesus, they call upon to cast out a demon. They call upon the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven of them, seven sons of Sceva, they're Jewish exorcists. If they, how do we know that? Well, that's what they did. So they came up to this situation. There's a guy who has a demon. They go into the house. They call upon Jesus. They call upon Paul, uh, uh, the Paul that uh, Jesus that Paul preaches. And you know what the demon says to them? Jesus we know, right? Paul we know, but who are you? And that demon, right? beats up those seven sons of Sceva, leaves them bloodied and naked, and they come running out of the house. And I think they're hired by one of the denominations to lead the exorcism ministry after that. I hear you have some experience. you know. But what's my point? My point is that we study this. The Holy Spirit in Paul was the real deal. Just as much as I talk about these false spirits being real, now, I don't know if you have it going on in Grand Forks, but it's happening now in Fargo. Fargo, with its aspirations to be a city, they want everything that a city has. And so now someone has their palm reading, right? They they have their mixed arts 
you know, reading poems, tarot cards, all this stuff, and they put their little board out on the, come and have this downtown Fargo. They rent, you know, they rent a space, and you can have your palm read here. It's like, so some of that, and a lot of that we'd say isn't real, but in that aspiration to, to be that, in Philippi, this is what was going on. Now, as I say that, this stirs me up unto this, this reality that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit would, would Satan even recognize us if, if a demon does? Have you ever troubled a demon-possessed person because of what you're doing? Now, we've done this downtown Fargo, and it's really hard to tell what's a demon and what's like you, you have so much dealing with drugs, alcohol, and, and we've been out doing street reach. And the last oh, probably five years, we've been in one spot, and we've been singing and worshiping. And I kid you not, we start worshiping God and it draws the spiritual realm like flies some days. You're like, wow. And we had one one gal come in and do this little sort of like thing with the straws and kind of cast the straws onto the ground. And she started like trying to read the straws like there was some, if you ever know the practices. I'm back. If you ever know the practices of witchcraft, she she basically is trying to do witchcraft in the middle of our of our worship group, and I discovered it's not going to do anything. These don't mean these things don't don't touch us. And there was another time where we would walk up and down and do street reach, and there's this guy, and again the Holy Spirit showed me this is like he's got a demon, and I just I just encouraged everybody there because we're trying to talk with people. I just said stay away from that one. Don't even waste your time trying to share the gospel with that one. Stay clear from him because all he's going to try to do is to keep you from sharing the gospel with anybody else out here. Now, this also, I think the second day of doing that, I recovered my stolen bike. I'm like, Lord, this is like crazy stuff. You know, I'm like, there's my bike right there. We're doing outreach. I'm like, I call the police. I get my bike back. I'm like, these, these things, how, how do these things happen? But... All this to say, we come, it still happens today, but here's my preparation for us. If you're going to go out and do street-level ministry, guess what you're going to encounter now? You're going to encounter demonic activity. Grand Forks, yeah. You have Islam in town. They worship Satan through a veil. I mean, you, you do, have, do you, have a, you have a mosque now in Grand Forks. We have, I think it's two in Fargo. We're close to one. And that's just an example. We have all the Hindus in town now. And we've been invited over to their house. They open up their, their cupboards and they show us all their little idols. We're like, I've never seen that before. <laughs> right? But we're preaching Christ to them. And, and I just can, have you ever, you've been, in, you've been in the States now. Has anybody shared the gospel of the Son of God with you? And we shared the gospel with him that night. Bought him a Bible in his native language. I mean, these are fun things you encounter along the way. Now, Paul... Uh, describing all this, uh, this girl followed Paul and us. Again, who's there now? Who's with Paul and Timothy and Silas? Who's there? Well, here you have Luke writing in the in the first term with us. Luke's there. Now, did he meet Luke there? We don't know, but this is where Luke shows up. They followed us, and he starts to talk that way. This is first. This is eyewitness account now for Luke, one through fifteen. Was Luke getting the history? This point forward, Luke's like, I saw this. They followed, she followed us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God. 
who proclaim the way to us, the way of salvation. Now, that's true, isn't it? Literally a true statement. But now you need to understand. So not only with the practice of soothsaying is that demon comes upon them and they start to like shake and, and get this raving mad prophecy. Oh, by the way, that's the way history records how Muhammad received his revelations for the Quran. In fact, his first statement was, I think this is, is demonic. And after that, he accepted it. And, and this demon who said he was an angel, imagine a demon masquerading and saying, no, no, it's, I'm an angel. And this demon actually then started to give these things to Muhammad. Guess what Muhammad, guess what history records when he would go into these, they called him like a raving mad fit. Soothsaying. See, we, if you even mention anything like that, right? Like right now, I just blasphemed their, their prophet. Do you understand that? But as you study history and you look this up, this girl is crying out. The word there for crying out is kradso. It's the same word to describe in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus crosses the, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he shows up at, at Gadara for the deviled ham incident. Right? We like deviled ham in a can. That day they were in the lake. But that's the situation, and that's the phrase. Now, find a way to Mark 5. This is, this, this is worth it to me. I mean, we know this story. We're going to wrap up with the jailer getting saved, right? Jailer's going to hear the gospel. We're going to have some supernatural power of God and miracles. But I'm laying this groundwork for us. We need this groundwork. You know, you know what we need? We need gifts of discerning of spirits. How did I know that that guy, as I was walking down the street, how did I know that we were to stay away from him at Street Reach? Gift of discerning of spirits. Now, I don't have it all the time. My sensitivity levels aren't like so high like I can tell. But on occasion, the Lord just will say to me, that person has a demon. I've come to know that to be true. Mark 5.5. 5. In 5.3, speaking of this man, oh, Jesus came out of the boat in verse 2, and a man met him out of the tombs with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling amongst the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. Power, powerful. This demon comes upon him. Again, I don't think of him as this big, strong guy. I think he's just a scrawny little guy who doesn't eat that well. Probably looks like he's a meth addict, right? The idea of the demon coming, he's not going to have this body that's well taken care of. In fact, this guy here living in the tombs, probably scrawny, but this power that's upon him is so powerful that nobody can bind him. Now, verse 5 says, Day and night he was in the mountains and tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. That word for crying out, kradso. The, the word is actually derived from the sound of a raven, like a shriek, is how the Greeks got the word and how it was used to describe this. Now, Mark 5, 5, uh, 5 6, when he saw Jesus, he saw Jesus from afar. Again, this, this is amazing to me. He ran and worshipped him. That demon or those demons, which we know later on, they recognize Jesus. They see Jesus out of the boat. The demonic, the spiritual realm knows the living God. Isn't that amazing? 
mean, I, I, I start to think on these things. I'm like, this is crazy stuff. That slave girl knew Paul. The sons of Sceva, the demon that they tried to cast out, knew Paul. And when he saw Jesus, he ran and worshipped. And he cried out with a loud voice. You know what he's crying out? He's so. He's shrieking and crying out. And you can hear this shrill voice. It says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? That's, that's, I mean, that's exactly who Jesus is. And, and this demonic, crazy demoniac, we call him that, he knows Jesus. And he gives testimony. But his testimony is not spiritually edifying. It's in a demonic cry. What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God you do, that you do not torment me. And Jesus said, come out of him. That's it. Jesus is, see, this guy's, I mean, you get the scene. This guy comes, worships, bows down, crying out, shrieking, and Jesus says, come out of him. I don't know, whatever you saw on TV that you need water or garlic or, I mean, you need, you need a drop of blood. I mean, that's witchcraft. You do realize that a lot of the practices of somehow like getting rid of demons is nothing other than trying to call upon some sort of other thing. What does Jesus say? Come out of him. And then when he finally when he finally lets him go into the pigs, you know what Jesus' word to get the demon out demons out was? Go. That's it. Now, back to our story. If you didn't know I was going to have so much background, I do, right? This is what takes place. These are servants of the Most High God. But if you can hear it, it's like, these are servants of the Most High God. Right? Just, I mean, she is on them for days. They have the way of salvation. Is, is there any quicker way to stop the gospel being spread other than to have Satan go around and sort of in a voice like that? And that's why I said to stay away from that guy. And she did this for many days. Verse 18. But Paul greatly annoyed. That's the New King James way of trying to give the, the strength of that Greek word, which literally says she was a pain. Spiritually, she was causing Paul pain over what she was saying. That demon in this girl, she, whatever she was doing, the moment they went to prayer, she turned around, followed them, and that spirit was not going to let the gospel be preached in Philippi. Paul was in pain over what was going on. He turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out at that very hour. Now, if you've ever encountered demon chasers, right? Christian demon chasers who, or again, some circles of Pentecostal pastors and ask the demon, what's its name? Get the demon's name. And once you have the demon's name, command it to come out. And they, they talk like that. But I come back to the scriptures, and, and even when Michael was arguing with Satan over the body of Moses, he wouldn't even bring a railing accusation. He simply would say, the Lord rebuke, thee, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Now, what you maybe don't catch until you look up the word commanded, Paul is not saying, I command you. The way we would say, get out of her. Literally, the word is para angelos. Where we understand angelos, that's angels, that's, that's one who's sent a messenger of God. He literally is saying, he comes alongside and says, this is the message from God. Get out of her. That's, that's, the, that's the grammar. 
That's, it's, it's not like I have this power and I start commanding demons around. He literally, in, in the spirit, and this, and this demon has to go. Now, when Jesus says go, that's him, right? That's him directing those things. What's Paul doing? What do we learn? These things are not done except by the power of the spirit. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The, the, the apostles, why couldn't we cast this devil out of this young boy? And again, the idea of like, well, Jesus says, well, because of your unbelief. And like, we don't understand that, do we? But it's just that simple thing that if you believe that God wants to cast this devil out and the spirit shows you that this demon must go, what are we really saying? Well, then the spirit's going to do this. You're just going to be the one right in between that says, well, in the Lord's name, you're to leave. And that's what he does. So this devil comes out, and the result of that says he came out that very hour. Now, don't emphasize the he. I looked it up in the, in the grammar. I looked it up, and, and a lot of the translations say, translations say it came out. There's not like a gender-specific thing on this demon, from what, from what I can tell. Her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone. Verse 19. There goes, there goes their money-making venture on false prophecy. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. The word there for authorities, that's archon. That's the leaders of the people. So again, think about it, right? Roman colony, but all the people there are not necessarily Romans. There's, there's only maybe a small portion that are actually Romans who live there. They bring them to the rulers, and then the rulers bring them to the magistrates. Being an outpost colony, magistrates, the word, that's the governor of the city, but being an outpost, I'll guarantee you, right, military governor. Think, think about that. So now this governor here has the authority, and being a military governor, what happens faster in the military than any other place? Judgment, right? Judgment happens very quickly. They grab them, come to the magistrates, and here's, here's their line of reasoning. These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. Now, who was troubling the city? Well, this little slave girl that would run around and screech this out. But they now, because they can't make money anymore, because the demon's gone. No, I believe that she is also a part of the Philippian church. Never said, right? So you're going to start with you're going to start with a, girl, a woman from Thyatira who sells material, a slave girl, a jailer, and his family. Sounds like Calvary Chapel. If you ever read Harvest, you're like most unlikely group of people. I mean, uh, Steve Mays. Steve Mays thought his head was blown off, right? Because someone had fired a gun close to him and he was on drugs. He literally thought the side of his head was missing. Right? Just that guy, he comes to his senses, gets saved. Spirit renews his mind. He gets saved out of the gutter, had been shot, left for dead. Just things like that. Now, we got to get through this yet, don't we? Okay. They brought him to the magistrates. The Jews said they exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. As if the world has righteousness. right? As if the Romans had a righteous code. But that's their accusation. So the magistrates being a military right, governorship, more than likely, the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates threw off their clothes, commanded them to be beat. 
Now, the word there for beat does not have with rods. The translators add it because it's a specific punishment that describes what they're beat with. Paul says later on, he says, I was beat three times with rods. It's probably the first time that Paul goes through this and they beat him exceedingly. Him and Silas are beat with rods. 23 says they had laid many stripes upon them. Then they threw him into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Now get this, the word for jailer is guard of those in bonds. Just, it's that simple. This is is all this is, all these simplicity of words, it's just that. Those that are to be locked up, he watches them, he keeps them. Don't think that they get three squares, TV, they don't get an orange suit. Right? They don't get visitors. I mean, th- if you thought something different, just like you're reading the Bible and, and like it's sanitized, not sanitized, throw them into prison, and the charge given unto him was keep them. So he put them in the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. The same word that we use in the Bible to describe Jesus being nailed to the tree. It's, the, it's that specific generic term for the wood, but but it's the tree. And if you catch this, Again, I believe the Holy Spirit is showing us they're, they're walking in the sufferings of Christ, which Paul was shown before he was saved. And he tells the Philippian church later on, he says, the fellowship of sharing in the sufferings. I don't know what happens to someone when they're suffering the sufferings for Christ, but that's what the Bible reveals. Paul knows. Paul later tells the church he literally is suffering, suffering the sufferings of Christ. And he, and he writes back to the church later on. He says, his desire to fill up in him what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And for us, it's a head-scratcher. We're like, what does he mean? We're like, huh. But he describes that, that this, these afflictions of Christ, of the sufferings, there's something about suffering for Christ and with Christ that he comes near, and there's a fellowship. You can you know, read the things of Richard Wormbrandt, and he'll talk about how near the Lord draws when one is suffering for their faith in Christ. You can read Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and how the Lord himself meets with his saints as they're, as they're suffering and dying. Now, that's the Bible. That's, that's, that's what happened with Paul. And so they're in the stocks at midnight. So in verse 25, just put in there, at midnight, they are praying and singing psalms to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So just put there in your notes, Garden of Gethsemane. It's like, why would you do that? There's not many places in the New Testament that put together prayer and singing hymns. This is the specific word to describe the singing of the hymns. Now, if you thought differently about the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that after they had left that upper room where Jesus washed their feet, where Judas betrayed, right, or, or sealed the deal and all that, and, and they, they, they took the, what we understand, the, the bread and the cup, it says that they left and they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and they sang hymns. You know what hymns they're singing? It's Passover, the Hallel Psalms, 113 to 118. That's what they're singing. Now, you know what I think? that Paul and Silas are singing, I think they're singing the Hallel Psalms. Now, I can't say I'm right. I don't, who knows? But this is what is put together. And that's what, the, that's what all the prisoners are listening unto. And, and the way that that word listening is, it's not like I just hear noise. 
as they're suffering, all the prisoners are hearing their their hymns, their halal hymns, which are hallelujah psalms, which are which is praise. It's straight up praising the Lord. They're praising the Lord while their backs are are beat open and they're locked in these stocks and they're suffering and they're a combination of praying and pouring out their lives. They might be pouring out their lives thinking we could die here. That's why I say Gethsemane. They might have the view that they're not getting out of this and the prisoners are listening. Verse 26, right there in your notes, gift of miracles. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And then look at this. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Remember the demoniac? They would try to bind him with chains and he couldn't be bound. Here you have those that are bound for their natural things. And again, you think about Paul who's bound for righteousness and for serving the Lord. So his chains are because of Jesus Christ. And so God sends this, and and he does it. I mean, gift of miracles. What earthquake opens every door and takes off every every chain? This gift of miracles. It's a precision-guided earthquake. I mean, how how do you figure anything other than that? So the keeper of the prison, he awakes from sleep. He, he had locked everybody up so tightly. The prison is secure. Everybody's locked in stocks. Nobody's going anywhere. But he wakes up to this earthquake, sees the doors open, the prison doors open, and immediately the, the phrase is, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, just a couple of things on that. One, understand when under the Roman government and Roman rule, when a guard was given a prisoner, if that prisoner escaped while they were under their watch, they would serve the sentence of the prisoner that they let escape. So guess who's in this? Guess who's in this prison in Philippi? Well, probably those who are deserving of death because he's willing to, again, and you think about it, Satan drawn near to him and immediately that, that thought, kill yourself. That this is this is this is suicide. This this is the that you see Satan draw near. So you got the slave girl who's like the demons cast out, and now just like you can, I don't know what it's like in Grand Forks, but I, my experience with Fargo, there are so many suicides and drug deaths happening currently in our in our city in Fargo, and they're never published. So here you have him about to kill himself. Paul calls out with a loud voice, do yourself no harm. Now, we don't know. How does Paul know he woke up? How does Paul know what he's going to do? All we know is Paul, he's praying, he's praising, and, and, and all that. And he now can cry out, save your life. Don't do it. We're all here. So then the, the, the jailer called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, if you thought this this whole thing of prayer and praise and locked up and being set free and everything that they had been saying, that that the jailer, he's come to this quickly and he realizes this is supernatural. What must I do to be saved? Worthy of memorization, Acts 16.31, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Now, 
When we, hear, when we share the gospel, we don't think of this drama like this at all, do we? We're like, well, I, we think of more like a sales pitch. Well, I'm going to go out, and for 19.99, you too can have this bright, shiny salvation. And we, we're like salesmen. But sometimes, and what happened in Philippi, and if you picked the whole thing up, this salvation does not come until the opposition of Satan and the demon cast out, the result of being beat, the suffering, the pain, the praise, again, the life of Christ. And out of that, the jailer comes in, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. So don't think it was they said Jesus and, and that's all they had to do and he was saved. No, they spoke the word of the Lord. We've studied this. When we went through Acts 13, we watched what Paul would teach about the gospel. They believe the gospel. They hear the word of the Lord. They believe the gospel. And they spoke it to him and all, all of his house. This, these are they're believers now. And he took them the same hour that night and washed their stripes. So sometime in the middle of the night, he's taking them I don't know if he has water in his house or he's taken them to a public pool, which would be very common. And he'd wash them and, and wash their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized because they believed, right? Believers baptism. And that, that, that's what that is right there. Now, one other thing we just learned is it might go went right by you. They were beat so bad with the rods that it opened up their skin. Because you don't, do you, does anybody wash a bruise? I mean, you might, I don't know if you really, but the idea of if it's open, then you have to wash those wounds. And, and then now you see this likeness of, of how Christ is at work and that suffering and the beatings for his sake and, and the gospel for his sake and losing their life for his sake. We got it pretty easy just in the realm of like what happens here. So much so that we don't even even consider demonic, spiritual opposition, the idea of being beat for Christ. And, and, and so let's just say this history needs to be there for all of us to be reminded of this. And he takes them that hour, washes their stripes, they're baptized. 34, he brought them into his house and feeds them, put food before them. He rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Now, my commentary a simple one, the effectual working of the word of God. Think, think about this whole thing came down. They came with the word of God to preach Christ. Right? Holy Spirit upon Paul, in Paul, overflowing Paul, baptized with the Holy Spirit, demons meeting him, poof, turns around. Beelines for Paul. And from that point of that open door and opposition, from that comes this powerful work of salvation. Why don't we see very much? Well, maybe we don't pray as much, or, or maybe the reality is, where are we in relationship with the power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives? Would anybody recognize us if we walked by him? Would a, would a demon-possessed person recognize the Spirit of God upon you? Because the Spirit is dwelling and in power. See, and that sort of stirs me up unto, God, do this work in our lives. Now we wrap up here, 35 to the end. When it was day, the magistrate sent the officer saying, let these men go. <laughs> I just, I chuckle because the work's accomplished. And, and you think about it, and the magistrates, they're not going to, they're not going to, a case. I mean, let's face it. They had an earthquake in town. They're just like, let them go, right? It, and whatever is happening, 
So the keeper of the prison reports the words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. Now what you should put in your notes there is, uh-oh. Now, in the Roman Empire, 50% of the people were slaves. Most of the Jews were slaves. Here you have two Jews who show up preaching the gospel in a Roman colony, which was of Macedonia, which was, was Greek, 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 Greek. And the Romans say, we're going to make this our city. And now it's forced Rome, forced Rome, forced Rome. Two Jews show up and the Roman magistrate, the, the military governor, beats them without a trial. Paul says, we're Roman citizens. And it is an OO. When they find out about it, they're afraid. They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. So it's kind of like no trial. This is like Mexico. Right? Here you actually have to charge somebody to hold them in prison or jail. In Mexico, you, the state police, do not have to charge an individual. They have enough laws on the books and enough suspicion that they can hold anybody indefinitely. That's why when you go to Mexico, you're, you, you live differently because they can lay hold of somebody. And they find out, uh, they, they put them in prison, treated them cruelly, and now they just want to, you want to let us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come down themselves and get us out. He's asking for a parade. We're, this isn't going to be done secretly. And the officers told these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them. (laughs) They're begging them. They bring them out and they're pleading with them and begging them to depart from the city. They went out of the prison, entered the house of, uh, of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So welcome to Calvary Chapel, Philippi. Well, whatever the church might be. First church. Welcome to First Church, Philippi. Who are your starting members? Well, we have Lydia. She's not really from here. She's a businesswoman. Her and her family, they're, they're in church. And Well, we have this, this young slave girl who now comes to church who used to have a demon. And you, you get the picture. And, and then, oh, and then we have the keeper of the, the jail. Man, does he have a testimony. You should hear his testimony of how God saved him, how God intervened, how you should hear the testimony. And and this is what happened in Philippi. And so I love reading the book of the letter to the Philippians. And if you ever read it, look carefully for the fellowship of the suffering of being imprisoned. That Paul, who does he think about when he's locked up in prison? He's like, I'm going to write a letter to Philippi. The very first place he was imprisoned where God did this supernatural work, when he's thrown in prison later by the Romans, he writes back to them and, he, and he's encouraging them. And he says, he says this, he says, turns out that me being in prison has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And all I can, re, all I can think about is Acts 16. The furtherance of the gospel came by Paul getting locked up and beat and put in prison and that furthered the gospel. The word there for furtherance, if I've ever shared this with you before, it's, it's, a, it's a term to describe how a metal, what do they call those guys? A blacksmith in our modern day, someone working with metal, heating the metal up in the fire, right? You get the coal fire going, get the metal hot, bring it out on the anvil, hammer, 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 put it back in the fire, bring it out, hammer, hammer, hammer. It's that, it's that furtherance to describe the process of hitting that steel with the hammer that lengthens it out. 
And so when Paul writes back to the Philippian church, he's describing unto them that his sufferings in prison has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Every suffering, every, think of Richard Wormbrandt, every time he was beat, he says, give me the men who are not afraid and I will give you Romania. That, that was his whole thing to get the gospel to, to save the country and, and, and the, the communists didn't want that. But it's that same idea. Every death of every saint who died, every suffering, this idea was the furtherance of the gospel. And throughout history, when he, when he writes back, he, he talks to the Philippian church about the fellowship of the gospel from the first day until now. The, if the jailer's reading that, he's like, I'm right there, man. F- fellowship of the gospel. You know how the gospel came to them? In the face of supernatural, spiritual victory and power over the devil through suffering and supernatural deliverance from real physical chains. So Paul says, I'm in chains. And he writes that back to the church at Philippi. He says, but the word of God is not chained. This is our acts. This, this is our history. This is church. This is, this is how the gospel comes to us. And then you can track this. Then the gospel goes on a little farther. Someone carries it farther. And then someone, someone preached the gospel to you. See, I don't like dead church. See, you know why I don't like dead church? Because we say, well, we don't, need, we don't need the gospel anymore. or We don't need the power of God. We don't need the Holy Spirit. We don't need the gospel. Like, well, you might as well just shut the doors now because if you don't do anything, that's going to be dead in no time if no one's hearing the gospel and there's no power and work of salvation. Now, does it have to come through suffering and drama and, and blood and, and beatings? Not always. But sometimes the sufferings of Christ come in the most unusual ways. And we're to carry that about in our bodies, the sufferings of Christ. Peter says, if you, you, we are partakers of his sufferings and then partakers of his glory. So that's all I have to say tonight. So may the Lord bless you. Heavenly Father, we ask that the spiritual power uh, of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit indwelling, Lord, that you would release that power of the Spirit upon our lives through the baptism with the Spirit to make us your witnesses. Lord, give us wisdom to understand we're not in Philippi, we're not in that situation, but help us to see where we're at and may our lives be laid down for you and whatever comes our way, we would see it for the furtherance of the gospel and we would know that this is about spreading the word of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. So hope you're encouraged. If you want some more bedtime reading of encouragement, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read the saints that have given their lives, and you can read it. It goes beyond the history of the book of Acts. And why is it an encouragement? Hey, whenever you read about people who count their lives, the value of their lives is that it's worth it to give them for Jesus Christ. That encourages me. You can teach your kids from a young age how important it is to serve Jesus Christ. Because uh, I, uh, I don't think it's going to get better out there in this world. I don't think there's going to be a turning as a, Everybody can say, well, we should really listen to the Bible. That's not going to be happening, right? We're going to be the ones taking the Bible out. So God bless you. You're free. Liberty. Go, go, go. Move, move, move. Move it, move it. Go, go.